0: Gentlemen, and welcome back to this week's episode of No Liberty. I'm your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of Liberty for a new generation. I am thrilled to have you here this week. This week, we have a really, really good interview for you. Uh, This week, I have brought on um, a candidate for. Uh, the Libertarian Party and the state of New York for governor in New York, uh, Larry Sharp, and Larry is one of the most interesting libertarians because I think he has a really solid shot at making a really big impact uh, in New York. Unfortunately, the Libertarian Party, you know, I've never, I've, I've been fairly open about this. The Libertarian Party and libertarianism are not one and the same. Um, even though they should be, uh, at least the Libertarian Party should be um, touting libertarianism and and be very effective at communicating those things. Um, That's unfortunately not been the case. But with Larry's campaign, he has really been changing the way that I have. um, He's been really changing the way that I have been uh, considering that and changing the way that I think libertarian candidates – look and and are running um, I'm generally pretty much politically independent and I vote for whoever I think that is the best candidate for liberty whether they be a Republican, a Democrat or a libertarian. Um, and I got to tell you, if I was in New York, I would not pass up this opportunity to, to vote for, for, for Larry because he is a guy that gets um, libertarianism. He is the guy that gets liberty. He makes the Libertarian Party look credible. He makes the Libertarian Party look like a serious party and very well could end up making the Libertarian Party one of the top two parties in the two-party system in New York uh, State, which would be massive. At the end of uh, the election in November, um, and he's exactly the kind of guy who I want to bring on for um, one of our final episodes of our our Liberty Candidate series, um, and that's exactly what I did. So please, I, I want to just go ahead and just get straight into it, so that way you can listen and enjoy this. So without further ado, please um, sit back and enjoy my interview with gubernatorial candidate for the state of New York and the Libertarian Party, Larry Sharp. All right, Larry, uh, welcome to my liberty. I am thrilled to have you here. You are one person who I have been wanting to get on for quite some time, uh, and I'm excited to have you on. So welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Um, yeah, so I really want to start the the episode off this week by um, having you get into uh, who you are, why you decided to run uh, for governor uh, oh, in Boring New York.
1: questions. All right, I'll I'll yeah, be good. Yeah. I'll let's let's fast.
0: get the let's get the you know the nitty gritty stuff first, and then we'll I'll, get into get the juicy out. stuff. All right, yeah. I am a kid from New
1: York City, born in Manhattan. Um, adopted, raised by my adopted parents in the Bronx by Yankee Stadium until I was around 10 or 11 or so. Moved out to Long Island to do high school out on Long Island and junior high school in Long Island. My father passed when I was around 11 or 12 years old. That was devastating for me and my family, as you can imagine. My mother was a German immigrant um, and her family was in Germany at the time. So when he died, it was devastating for us. Um, when I was 17, I ran off to join the Marine Corps. I did about seven years in the Marine Corps. When I come back, my mother was already in trouble. She had been addicted originally to legal drugs and eventually illegal drugs. Mm-hmm. I tried to help her to get her back on her feet from that. I got out of prison, and it was uh, it was a bad time for us. Uh, after that, I decided we should start a business. To, so, because she was always a uh, she was always a hostage. She was always a hostage to any job she had. She lied on every form. to get a a job, and I didn't want her being a hostage anymore. So we began our first business. That business was a trucking business. I became a truck driver for a while, Mm -hmm. and then I let them go off. My mom and my stepdad had that business for a while. I started other businesses and had other jobs. My next business did not go well, so I sold it off. Then I began this business, which I have now had for 14 years. I am a consultant, a trainer, a teacher. I do uh, training when it comes to leadership, sales, and marketing do some executive coaching, usually in finance or in tech or law. I actually also do some consulting with criminal justice attorneys. In addition, I've taught at the uh, several colleges, Baruch and John Jay, and I've been a guest instructor at the graduate level of both Yale and Columbia. I decided to join the Libertarian Party in 2012. I was actually someone who didn't care about politics that much at all. I was kind of a tr- tr- traditional kid in the 70s in New York City. I'm 50, so you know how old I am. Just mm-hmm. turned 50 a couple of days ago. That traditional earth kid earth in the 70s. Earth Thank earth you. Earth. Yes, four days ago. So um, traditionally, if you're a New York City kid, you grow up that Democrats are good, Republicans are bad. And that's how I grew up as a kid. But then when I joined the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps is a very conservative organization. And I tended to be more Republican than Democrat at that point. Mm-hmm. But then I didn't care anymore. I was like, whatever. I was I a was guy in the 90s who wanted like Perot and Nader to win, if you know that back in the day. Mm-hmm. Those are the guys who were just you know, not the mainstream. Yeah. And then eventually, I heard Gary Johnson speak. When I heard Gary Johnson speak in 2012, he was an entrepreneur. And I was already teaching post-industrial leadership as a consultant. i have been doing it for years. So I was kind of already you know, there thinking about ideas of it's not about centralized control it's about giving your leadership more freedom it's about giving people more transparency and freedom in their lives to give them you know the ability to be innovative and translate that into government and Gary Johnson was speaking my language so he got me into the party it's the first time I'd ever joined a party and I became a party member in 2012 and I supported his candidacy in 2012 eagerly and then I supported it again in 2016 uh, 2016 eagerly but I also jumped into the frame myself. In 2016, when I saw there was Trump and Hillary, I thought, I got a shot at this. So I tried to run for the, the Libertarian Vice Presidency uh, uh, nomination. Sorry. I lost that to Bill Weld, but I, was still, I still supported the ticket completely. And now in 2018, I'm running for governor of New York. And I'm running for governor of New York because New York was ranked 50th by Cato when it comes to freedom. We were bottom of the barrel. We beat California. <laughs> we're number one. And we also are ranked the worst when it comes to retirement. So we're the worst state to retire in and the least free state. So if I can make impact and win here, the victory is so sweet. And the victory is so amazing. Impact here means victory across the state. Winning here means changing this country overnight. That's why I'm doing it here. But also, I'm a New Yorker. I love New York. I want to live in New York, I'm raised in New York, my business is in New York, my family is in New York, and I want to do well in New York. So I can't do well if I don't change the state. Over 100,000 New Yorkers leave my state every single year. I don't want to be, I don't want to be part of that stat. So I have two choices, change
0: the state or leave. I don't want to leave. So your journey into libertarianism really fascinates me, mostly because I think it is sort of the 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 way that most americans view libertarianism today they don't get into it because of mises or because of bastiat or you know all these different things they get into it because of their real life experiences once once they do eventually so, get no. into it i think so no i think people get into it because of an individual i think if you ask
1: most okay, people okay that's an interesting that's an interesting take It's because they heard Harry Brown speak or they heard Ron Paul speak or they heard Gary Johnson speak or recently in New York because they heard me speak or some other person was running as libertarian or was speaking liberty ideals Mm -hmm. and they heard that person speak and it made some sense and that got them into it. I think that's where most people actually get into libertarianism.
0: Well, let me let me amend that just uh, just a bit. They they understand the the sort of principles and stuff through life experiences and then when they hear someone speak uh, the way that you just described, that is where the sort of light bulb goes off. Yes, I agree completely. You're right. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Yep, you're so, right. So so that that's really interesting. Tell me how that has um, has translated to the people in New York because you know you were just explaining. Uh, New York is not exactly um, a live free or die type state. <laughs> it's 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 well, bottom it has of the to barrel be, now. the problem is because and this is the issue. We are literally bleeding
1: population. Mm-hmm. We have counties here in New York State that have one third of the population on Medicaid, one third on Medicare, a dwindling population, and a rising tax bill. You don't have to be an economics major to figure out that's a problem. I mean, that's common sense. It's a problem. Everyone can figure that, that out. So now they have to do something. So many people are leaving. The people who are staying are either those who are very wealthy or those who are trapped, meaning they're trapped by family, trapped by disability, or trapped by their property. That's not a good thing. 70% of New Yorkers don't vote. That's one of the highs in the country. Around the country, it's about 55% don't vote, 60%. We're at 70% don't vote because we're, we basically achieved learned helplessness. We don't, what, what difference does it make? No matter what, we get crushed so we don't bother voting. This is, this is becoming a thugocracy. I mean, it's a real problem here. So when I go around the state talking to people, they go, oh my God, this is amazing. Some guy's saying something that no one else has said, but more importantly, somebody's actually traveling around the state to talk to us. What I get so often is, Oh, my God, I'm so surprised you came here because they don't usually show up. Why bother? The Democrats in my state, it's a blue state, right? So Democrats right. always win, and the Republicans come in second. And if you're in a red state, right, the Republicans win, the Democrats come in second. That's kind of how it works. So they're okay with that now. They've accepted this, and it's embarrassingly bad. It's the reason why a third party, a libertarian party, can actually win this thing. You know, people think this is impossible. They're wrong. I've heard it more than once. Here's what's happening now, which is crazy. When people talk about me and they try to badmouth me, which the Republicans are doing badly right now, the Democrats, not as much. The Democrats feel a lot safer. So they're hardly talking about me at all. Republicans are scared. So they talk talking about me a lot. And they'll say, all they keep saying is, you know, we can't win. You know, we can't win. It's a waste of money. You know, we can't win. They're not saying he's a bad guy or he's wrong or what he's saying won't work. They're not saying any of those things. Yeah. 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 Yet their candidates won't pick up what I'm saying. So they're saying what Larry's saying is going to work, can work, will work. We won't pick it up, but he can't win, so who cares? Please go back to sleep. That's what they're saying. Please go back to sleep. Will you please stop? Go back to sleep. The re- reality of this is it's this is actually winnable, and it's winnable for several reasons. Number one, New York is a plurality state, which means we don't need 50%. We need just 30%, more than the rest. And the five-way race, which is what this will be. I'm not joking. This will be a five-way race. 30% could win this thing. I'm already, with the people who know who I am, polling at 24%. I'm six points away from victory. That's not crazy. That can be done. Don't get me wrong. It's climbing Mount Everest. I get that. But it can be done. So it's a winnable race. With that in mind, if that happens, New York State changes overnight, and so does the country.
0: So tell me sort of the difference between the... um what it's like to campaign in the city, New York City, versus the rest of the state, and what sort of tactics that you have to use to to appeal to different uh, types of, of voters and those different sure. demographics. I'm very lucky in one regard, and that is,
1: I don't care. I you know it sounds crazy, <laughs> but I don't. I don't pander at all, and I tell people what I feel, and because of Libertarian, I wind up connecting to a lot of people because my – My basic concept is not, I know what's right, do as I say. That's what the right and left say. The right says they're correct, and the left says they're correct. I say, I don't care if I'm correct. Here's what I want to do. I want to stop trying to enforce the will of the majority on everybody else. I instead want state government to actually be not the enforcer of someone's will, but the protector of individual rights against the local bullies that always pop up that is a fundamental change in government and whether you're liberal or conservative guess what i'm good just don't try to use government to force your liberalness or conservatism on others i'm okay either way let new york city be more liberal than western new york all good new york is a diverse state with lots of different people We have mountains, we have rivers, we're the largest city in the country, we have amazing farmland, we have lakes, we have waterfalls, we have beaches, we have everything, beautiful forests, you name it, we have in this awesome state, which means, though, we also have diverse cultures in this state, 62 different counties that are different in every way to other counties. They should be that way. It's very hard for someone to say, I'm wrong, when I say, I want you to be you and me to be me. Let's all live free together. That's a pretty good message. So that's my advantage. So the message doesn't change very much at all. The message is pretty much that no matter where I go. It's a form of that depending upon what area I'm in and what issues they con- they're concerned about. Right. But my general principle is always the same. So policy is relatively easy because I have principle. If you have principle, policy not that hard. So that helps.
0: I was, you know, I was just going to say that that's, I think, one of the one of the really interesting things about the message of liberty is it – it, it really resonates with so many different people in so many different yes. ways that you don't have to change it that much or, or tune yes. it that much because Absolutely. it all resonates with people. Exactly right. Now, there are
1: some specifics,
0: and one of those
1: is getting into – there are four arenas I have to fight on. Arena number one is social media. That one I originally thought I couldn't win because uh, our governor, His Majesty King Andrew, he, does, he has a $12 million. So I thought $12 bucks, I could never win. I was wrong. I am killing it on social media. Um, I'm beating everybody. It's not even close. Um, my engagement is higher. My numbers are higher. Um, it, I'm killing it because I have a good message. I have a good team, and they're just getting trolls. And it's really bad. I'm totally killing it on social media. So I'm very happy about that. That helps me to break through. And I can use social media to target the areas that I'm going to physically be in so that people can physically see me someplace and also see me on facebook and that allows me also to fill my events i can make up an event for like tomorrow afternoon and i'll have a dozen people there that's insane if i actually have some time to put it together i'll get 60 70 85 people 90 people to show up if i have some time and it's vast majority through social media and flyers now how do i get flyers out it's very easy i put them on social media in one of my groups and my, the people who follow me literally download it, print it out, and walk around the town and hand the flyers out. So using social media, I can use my ground team to literally paper the area with flyers and people see the social media, and then I'm basically showing up. So that's how I can make my events so popular because events is another arena I have to fight in. Now, events, right now I'm killing on events too, but it's kind of by default because no one else is doing events. So I'm <laughs> I'm winning by default. Now, I don't know if that's going to be the same come September. After September, the primaries will be over, and they're going to get into high gear when it comes to events and campaigning. They may be able to beat me on that. I don't know. I, right now, can easily get minimum 15 people, high in 75 people to an event. That's great. It's not enough. By the time September comes, I need to be having 500 to 1,000 people at every event. If I can do that, I can win the arena of events. If I can't, I'm gonna struggle, it depends. So when it comes to those two arenas, I am winning social media and will continue. I might be able to win events, I'm not sure. The next one, uh, media, uh, next, next uh, arena to fight on is traditional media. Uh, newspapers, radio, TV, stuff like that. I have struggled for that. And the reason is the actress, or the actor, Cynthia Nixon, here is running in New York State. She is very popular in New York City. And because of her popularity, the media just flocks to her. I could literally walk up, shoot someone in the head in the middle of uh, Broadway, and, and, and the headline will read, Cynthia Nixon wipes her nose. That's what the headline oh. is. So it's really hard to get anything in in New York City because they love her. So what do I do? I spend a lot of my time now before her primary in other parts of New York State, Long Island, uh, North Country, uh, Southern Tier, Western New York. I go to those areas, and they don't care about her. So they care about me, so they want up covering me. So a lot of local media has covered me. I've gone to smaller towns where they don't have that much going on. So when the governor comes by, it's a big deal. Comitero candidate comes by, I get a news crew that'll come out, and I, I get a lot. So I have I'll, I'm in the media. I'm not joking. Every week, but it's usually local media. It's you know um, the local newspaper. I made the front page of two newspapers last week. Hmm. So I am getting traditional media. It's just most of it is um local media local newspapers but the advantage of a local newspaper and it's a big advantage people don't get they say well this local newspaper only has like 500 readers yeah but if you read a local newspaper you vote that's exactly the person i want if you read that newspaper you vote so i'm good with that i don't have a problem with that at all i get a lot of local uh news local cable channels so i get a lot of that I am getting some New York City stuff now. It's been a while, but because I have so much local media, they start seeing it in the big cities. So like I've done a couple of um, Rochester, which is a a large city in upstate New York, (laughs) a couple of Rochester shows. Um, I'm going to be in a Buffalo show. I'm going to be on a, a radio show in New York City coming up here in about two weeks, the morning show. So I am starting to get more traditional media. So my hope is I'll begin to win that. I was on the Rubin Report. Um, Tom Wood show, that sh- um Jason Stapleton show. This, of course, is is more Liberty uh, media, but that does begin to push over. We're, we're trying to get on the Colbert, uh, the Colbert uh, show. Yeah. So we'll see if yeah. we get there. Yeah. So we're moving towards that. So I may be able to win a tra- traditional media, specifically once Cynthia Nixon loses the primary in September. Yeah, if she loses her primary yeah. in September, that they should shift towards me because also the left will no longer have their savior right but, now the I'm picking up more from the right than the left because the right doesn't have a savior to get them out of the establishment the left does their establishment candidate had they have Cynthia Nixon the right has no non establishment candidate so right now i'm picking up I'm picking up the left also but I'm picking more from the right right now I think in September
0: I'll pick up more from the left do you see that part of like the the momentum will really really start to pick up once the i guess like after you know I look back at the twenty sixteen election, and I think all the focus in the national media before um, the conventions was just based on the primary candidates. After that, that's when the national media started shifting toward like third party candidates, and uh, you know, Libertarian Party, the Green Party, and things like that. That's when 100%. I started seeing just those why things. I
1: have to get my street cred up now.
0: Right, right, that's exactly
1: right. I need to be polling well, have my street cred up. And yeah, people have seen me, know who I am. Look, the next arena is debates, and debates will only happen if people want to see me. People think debates are about well, the, the rights, of the candidates, the people. No, it's all about ad. It's ad revenue. If if I if people want to see me, then I'm in debates. Mm-hmm. So how it works. So popularity is what matters. That's why I've been running for almost a year because. I want to make sure that when that time comes, I am prepared. You can't run a campaign for three months hope to get into debates. It's impossible.
0: It's impossible. So one of the really interesting things is that regardless of what happens at this point, you have already essentially made a footprint with your campaign. You are the the highest uh, raised um, uh, non-presidential candidate for office. Uh, that's not one of the major two parties. That in and of itself is monumental um, yes. for for the future of, of of the country. I would say the future of the way that we do sort of third parties in this country and the way that we look yep. at third parties in this country. Um, do you think that even if you don't win, which I you know I'm not I'm not counting you out or anything. Um, but I, I do think that regardless win or lose I do think that this uh, campaign that you're running will have an impact that will affect uh, other campaigns. Absolutely. Look, if you I don't
1: know if you're paying attention to me at all, but I started this entire concept back in the end of 2016. By the time October came around, I knew Gary Johnson had no shot at victory. Right. Once that was true, and I was devastated because I believe in Gary Johnson and I wanted him to be president. I wish he was president now, but I knew it wasn't going to happen. Once that happened, I still defended him as always and still will and always will. But I knew that we had to pick up the the torch. I was worried that him and Bill Well would just walk away. That was my worry. Mm -hmm. And I also know that the, the Libertarian Party National has no strategy, has no vision doesn't exist. No plan, no strategy, no vision. Mm -hmm. So I knew that too. So November, right after election day, I came out with a plan. Ten-year plan, seven-year plan to get the Libertarian Party up and running. I said I would run a campaign that would show everybody exactly how to run a campaign. I would run a massive campaign that would be the way we will run campaigns from now until whenever. I literally said that like the day after the election. I knew I was going to do that. And then I waited about six or eight months, and I announced. And then I ran. I was prepared at that point. I was preparing for this campaign. And when I announced, I put my team together, and we've been building. We have to build this because what the Libertarian Party does not have is infrastructure. Yeah. So we don't have. People don't come to us as candidates, not because they don't believe in our principles. Many do. We don't have nothing to give them. We don't have a plan for victory. We don't have infrastructure. We don't have bodies. we got nothing. I get it. So instead, I'm building it. So I am building a plan for us to, to make impact in 2020. I am building a plan for us to build infrastructure. What I'm doing now, literally, I, my team now has a policy library that any candidate can use. All the policy I've built. I'm sharing it now. There are governors running across the state, libertarians. I'm giving them access to my team and access to my library. I give them access to my website. I give them access to my team if they want it. I'm already giving them away. I'm showing them how to do it. I gave one of my directors away to become a campaign manager in Arizona. I have seven more directors. My seven directors that I have now, that's seven more campaign campaign managers next year. All my other volunteers, those are directors next year, and in 2020, that's the 20 campaign managers and 200 directors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, who all know now how to run, how to get media, how to do press releases, how to raise money how to do fundraisers, all stuff we didn't know how to do well at all because we were so worried about throwing garbage candidates at, 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 at nothing, hoping to get some victories instead of building up infrastructure so candidates can actually win. Now, if I get just 15%, 20%, that's all I get, that, oh my God, if I can do that in New York State, we can win in South Dakota, North Dakota, uh, Vermont, we can win in these states, easy day. We can win in Utah. We'll win. But not just that. Those states all come into play now electorally in 2020 to actually win states. Mm -hmm. Now, if I beat the Republican, which is highly likely here in New York, I will change how New York State works, meaning this will be national news. New York State will have to change its laws and rules because in New York State, the top two parties by the gubernatorial election are the ones who run the board of elections. The Republicans will be kicked out. They're not going to accept that. They're going to rewrite all the rules. I don't mind. I'm happy about that because when they rewrite the rules, they'll have to add third parties. Why? They'll be a third party. (laughs) So that means all the other parties, conservatives, Greens, Libertarians will all have a say in New York state government. It will change how New York state functions fundamentally, and that will be a sign for all the other states. Uh Uh-oh, change is coming. But not just that. Right now, many times uh, Republicans and Democrats don't do anything they say because they don't have to. There's no need. Democrats are supposed to be about civil liberties. They're not, but they're supposed to be. Well, maybe if they get their butt kicked or oh, people notice that they might start doing that. Sure. Well, Republicans are supposed to be about small government. They're not, but they're supposed to be. Well, maybe if they get their butt kicked, they might all of a sudden decide we should be what we said we're supposed to be. <laughs> Me coming in second, just second makes for better Republicans and better Democrats. I hope that they become so good I'm not necessary because they actually do what they're supposed to do because they sure don't. Now, if I win, it changes America overnight and there's no hyperbole, there's no exaggeration there. Literally, all those liberty-minded people who thought I'm never be libertarian because they can never win, Will all of a sudden flock out of the woodwork and become libertarian. It will change America overnight. This campaign has the most chance for impact over every other campaign in 2018, hands down, no exception. This is the campaign, the race of the year. I just wish I wish more people would get that.
0: I completely agree with that. Um, I think that. If if you were to either you know get second place or win, either one of those would just be just fundamentally transformative uh, to yes. the country. Um, Absolutely. So let's let's talk a little bit um, and and sort of get into some of the specifics, um, especially with specifics to New York, because I, I sort of understand like I I sort of I sort of know where you might come from on certain issues, but I also know that you know it's it's a little bit different with how particular. Um, you have to be with, uh, with, with each state, um, and New York is no exception with that. So uh, the first thing that I want to discuss is probably um, one of the more entertaining and more hot-button uh, topics. Uh, New York is not exactly a gun-friendly state. so Not even close. What would you be pushing for as, uh, as governor of New York uh, to sort of liberate those gun laws? Well, it's a great question. Um, the first thing is we have to get rid of the SAFE
1: Act. Do you know what the SAFE Act is? Um, uh, no worries, I'll tell you. Yeah, the yeah. SAFE Act <laughs> was enacted an an act about five years ago. we the Sandy Hook. And it basically said certain things, certain equipment is now evil. So if you have this piece of equipment on your rifle, it's now bad. So what it basically did is it made a million legal gun owners, criminals overnight. It was so poorly done, it actually made the cops criminals. They had to rewrite the law and change stuff the the next day afterwards. Otherwise, the cops are going to jail. Wow. It was so poorly done. It was done overnight, middle of the night, and just kind of rushed through Congress and all signed. The SAFE Act is just a way of trying to make people lose firearms and makes people afraid. So what winds up happening is now no one registers their guns, no one even talks about guns anymore. It's really bad. It actually makes it harder for law enforcement to do the job. And it makes people so afraid they buy and hide guns. This is not what we want. It's not helpful. I'm going to end the SAFE Act. Now, I can't repeal it. Governors don't get to repeal laws. But what I can do is, number one, tell people that I'm going to pardon people who were convicted of any SAFE Act violations. And I'm going to start within the first 90 days. First 90 days, I start actually pardoning people. Yes, pardoning first 90 days. So you were convicted of some safe act, Pardon. What if you robbed the bank? You're still going to jail for robbing a bank, just not because you, and it's a real rule, because you had 11 bullets in your magazine versus seven. That's safe act, stuff like that, because you had a piece of plastic on your rifle. Now you are literally, literally a violent felon. That's what happens. You are, you are now in New York State, a violent felon because you had a piece of equipment on your weapon. Not because you did something to hurt somebody, because you had a piece of equipment. So first thing, pardon. Second thing, any funding that comes across my desk for it, vetoed. Gone, vetoed. Don't waste your time. Vetoed. Gone. Next, tell law enforcement this is your lowest priority. Lowest priority. What will happen? The first year, the safe act will basically have no teeth. Mm -hmm. After it has no teeth for a year, what's going to happen in New York State? Nothing. There will be no zombie apocalypse. No one's going to get killed. No no, you know, firefights in like the Wild West, in the middle of the street. Not going to happen. Lots of people have the Second Amendment rights, and the world doesn't end. Once that happens, I've just set it up with the Assembly and the Senate to repeal the SAFE Act in 2020. So well, 2019, it becomes useless. 2020, it is repealed. While I'm working on that, I'm going to set up two different rules and regulations for gun ownership in New York State. Sadly, now, if you have a legal gun in one county, you travel to another county, it's illegal, you're going to jail. That is an embarrassment in my state. I mean, that's horrible that it even exists. So we're going to make universal carry laws, transportation laws, or tra- uh, tra- uh, transportation laws. If you travel through any county in New York State with your firearm, as long as that firearm is unloaded and locked, you're good. That is not true right now. You literally can have a legally owned firearm locked up in your car. You get stopped in Manhattan. You're going to jail. That has to end. While I'm governor, that will end. Not just that. We'll change the definition of loaded. And it sounds crazy, but in New York State, loaded means ammunition in the vicinity of the firearm.
0: Goodness. In the vicinity.
1: Goodness. Yes, that means loaded. So literally, <laughs> if you have your ammunition in the same bag, meaning it's you could have your gun physically locked in the same bag, a box unopened in your bag. It is loaded in New York State. That's a loaded firearm.
0: Hmm.
1: No. You change definition to bullets in your gun. I know, sounds crazy, but that's what we're going <laughs> to do bullets in your gun equals loaded. Right. Not in your gun equals unloaded. We will do that. And last, we'll make pistol permits uh, 90 days. If you don't get it 90 days, it is automatically accepted. If they deny your pistol permit, they must give you a reason why, which is fine, reason why, and a method to appeal. That right now in New York State does not exist. That's the first step. We do those three things within the first two years. Now we can start moving to make New York State a more gun-friendly state. The problem is we are so far down the road, things like constitutional carry, Right now, or it's the bridge too far in New York State. Right now, we have a law that's sitting in our assembly right now called the red flag law. And this now allows teachers who see a student who may be scary or worried or a problem to now tell judges that we should confiscate their parents' guns. Yeah. That's insanity. Yes. That's where New York State's going. I just want to turn it around away from craziness to like something that's just not crazy. That's yeah. all. Do that in the first two years, then we can start moving further. Anything else is simply a bridge too far and not realistic. This thing may actually pass. Now, here's the problem with that. I'm a teacher. Some kid draws a picture of a gun. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna, without question, go and have his 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 parents' guns removed. Someone is gonna kick in that guy's door and say, "Give me your guns." And if that dad says no. We're going to kill that kid's dad. That's going to happen in New York State. I'll guarantee you that's going to happen in New York State. And don't let that kid kid be a black kid. His father's dead. Right. He draws – that kid will draw a gun on a sheet of paper. He just killed his father. That is going to happen in New York State, and I don't want it to happen. We have to change that.
0: Um, so aside from uh, gun reform, which I think you have outlined a, a, a pretty good, uh, you know, a few beginning steps to take um, as as governor, uh, what about uh, some economic reforms such as occupational licensing uh, reform? Oh, oh I my think God. I you, think you that mean- is probably the. Um, most underrated economic uh, issue of our time. Uh, talk Absolutely. to me a little bit about how, how you're going to. to the industry that.
1: I bring up all the time is the vaping industry. I bring it up all the time because the vaping industry is, is, is trying to be regulated. New York State is trying to regulate the vaping industry out of New York State. And there is literally no reason for that. Just for control. Because damn it, we can. Because New York State does this. There's something new. Oh, my God. Hit it with a stick. Ah! That's New York <laughs> State. They, they're attacking the vaping industry. They, they attacked cryptocurrency with a dumb bit licensing. They got rid of marijuana and hemp. They push everything out because we're afraid. New York State is all about old money. We like good old-fashioned Wall Street bankers. If you're not a good old-fashioned Wall Street banker, why are you in my state? That's how we think. Everything else, hit with a stick. I bring up vaping because they're licensing vape shops. All right, here's the issue. You think about licensing. The image someone comes up with is, oh, licensing is good because now it'll be safer. No, licensing isn't safe. Licensing is for control. The, the, The vape shop owner doesn't you know take classes in CPR or learn about the damages of vaping or whatever. No. He just says, let me sign stuff so you can take my license away. Let me sign stuff so you can punish me at will. That's what he's doing. Licensing is just a barrier to entry and a way of the, of the state taking money from small business. It makes sure that big business wins and small business loses. Now, example I bring up is things like dog walking and braiding hair. These are licenses in New York State. Why in the hell do you require a, dog, uh, a license to walk a dog mm-hmm. or to braid hair? That's insane. Now, the thing is, well, you know, safety. What safety? Jesus Christ, shut shut up. Safety for braiding hair? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Do you if, if you actually say that, are you that broken as a human being that you think someone is going to kill you by braiding your hair? If you believe that, please don't get your hair braided. It's insane. Here's my rule on this. General rule, guideline. Here's a guideline. Would you ask your friend to do it? Would you ask your friend to braid your hair? Of course you would. Why is there a license? Would you ask your friend to walk a dog? Of course you would. Why is there a license? Would you ask your friend to take out your appendix? Of course you wouldn't get a license. I'm fine with that. Get a license for stuff that you wouldn't ask your friend to do. The problem is people say, well, you know, uh, not just safety. It's not just that. It's also, you know, these are businesses and they can afford these. No, it's not. The guy who starts um, a dog walking business, or a hair braiding business, that guy or gal is not some millionaire. There's no big hair or that stupid big dog walking. That doesn't exist. It's someone who's trying to make themselves better in some way, shape or form. They don't have a lot of money. So why in the hell would you make a barrier to entry for something like that? It's crazy. No, licensing is just a way for the state to take more money out of a small business owner. And it needs to be reduced tremendously to give more New Yorkers a chance at growth and making themselves better I want happy New Yorkers that's what I want
0: I think I think licensing is a perfect example of what is seen and unseen um, and where what you don't see is the fact that or what you do see is that the fact that you know all these big businesses can afford it, so why not? But what you don't see is all the, you know, hundreds of, of people who would like to start a business but just simply can't because they were slapped down before they even got the chance to. Yep. And that's essentially what, what licensing, occupational licensing does. They were uh, just slapped down
1: before does. they had a chance or, here's the worst part, they start a business that starts working so they get noticed. So now the state comes by and says, oh, how long have you been working this business? Six months, no license, here's your license fee plus your six months penalty, by the way, you're out of business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's beyond, uh, I think, an economic issue. I, I would consider that just a basic moral issue that's, yes. that, we, that we have to face because that is absolutely, there's absolutely nothing good that you can make as a good argument to say that person should be put out of business just because he didn't have a license for the first couple months. That's correct. Yes. Um, so let's let's move over to uh, another favorite issue and favorite topic of of uh, libertarians, um, and especially in a state like New York, and uh, that is taxes. Ooh. What?
1: Ooh. What? Uh,
0: what are you planning to possibly do to unravel the uh, the tyranny of the New York tax code?
1: Yeah, a couple things. Number one. Um, I'm not a big tax cutter before with you. I'm not. It's okay. going to sound crazy, but I'm not. And the reason why I'm not is tax cuts are actually bad in general because they almost never are accompanied with reduction in spending. Mm-hmm. If you just cut taxes, that's a bad thing because what happens is either someone else pays the tax, gets shifted to someone else. So I lower your payroll tax. So I raise someone else's property tax. That's not good. Or we encourage debt. The key is to lower spending, so you can eliminate taxes and simplify taxes. That's what I really want to do. So, for uh, the biggest thing I want to do is I want to eliminate the state income tax. Now, that is step. a that's a massive step. Yeah, our state income tax is somewhere between forty and fifty billion dollars a year. Yes, I said it, billion dollars a year. That's a lot. I can do it though. It'll take me about four years. Three things have to happen to make that happen. One is not enough. Number one, I have to find other ways of raising money besides taxation. And one of the things I've talked about many times, one idea is to lease naming rights to our infrastructure. For okay. example, we have, we have a bridge now, which is the Mario Cuomo Bridge, which is an embarrassment. You literally have an imperial bridge to our royal family. Um, instead, that should be the, uh, the UBS bridge or the Staples Bridge, Right. Lease out the name to Staples or whatever company. I actually have a banker already in, in Manhattan who's waiting for me to make this happen because he wants in. He loves this idea and he wants to finance it. Mm-hmm. So when we start do- doing these naming rights, all of a sudden now, you know, Staples or whatever will pay $20, $20 million a year for uh, you know a, a stadium uh, that they use on weekends. How about a bridge that gets mentioned hundreds of times every year during, uh, every day during rush hour? There's a million people go by it every day. Yeah, you pay $100 million for that. Of course you would. The rule is you pay $100 bucks and you control maintenance. If they control maintenance, guess what? No more government contracts with cronies and my best friends and buddies and no-show jobs and corruption. No, that part goes away because government's not paying for that. Staples is. Guess what else will happen? The potholes will actually get fixed because Staples <laughs> won't go with it. You'll actually have potholes fixed, maintenance is covered, and the state gets $100 million. And here's the best part. No tolls. Get rid of tolls. Tolls go away. Think of how many truck companies will now be able to give raises to their drivers and or hire new drivers because they're paying by the axle every day. Lots of dollars getting paid. That goes away. And it's the best part. A lot of these, these trucks are using side roads and secondary roads because they want to pay tolls. They're trashing secondary roads. Well, guess what? When there's no tolls, they'll use the roads they should be using. Better on the secondary roads also. Nothing but good raising money. Now, just the MTA has over a dozen bridges in New York City. Only New York City, only MTA. We will literally raise billions of dollars every year just for this idea. And I haven't even touched the Erie Canal or Thruways. Just that concept. That, that's still not enough. That's a lot, but not enough. Secondary piece. We've got to fix Medicaid, Medicare. Medicaid, Medicare is a problem. We have to do that with many different ideas with cost-cutting. But one of those ideas is... Changing the co the co-pays right now are $1 and $3, $1 for a regular doctor's visit, $3 for emergency room, will change to 12 and 36 Yes, those are big jumps, and they should be. Right now, we have people using emergency services as taxis. I'm not joking. All the time. People going to emergency room, and they have uh, chest pains, and they have stand in line because 15 people have stubbed toes because it costs three bucks. No more. Now it costs 36 bucks. You don't like that? Great. Take your three bucks. Go buy some aspirin. You'll be fine. Take your, take your, take your three dollars and you know, pay an Uber. It's okay, you'll be fine. If it's an emergency, pay thirty six bucks. It's fine if it's an emergency. We have emergency rooms that are filled with people who are doing emergencies, and you're the one who has a chest pain. That's a problem. And our ambulances, you can't get an ambulance because someone's taking a taxi ride to the mall. I'm not joking. They call them frequent frequent flyers because every week they have a problem, and it's basically been three bucks to take a take a ride to the to the uh, to the uh, to, to the mall. It's bad. We'll change that. But not just that, 12 bucks for a doctor. People say, well, Larry, the people can't afford a doctor's visit for 12 bucks? Yes, you can. You have a cell phone. You can afford it. Yes, you can. And those who are so hurt that can't afford $12, those people don't have an address. So those who don't have an address, those who are the weakest in our society, they don't pay anyway. For them, it might be a million dollars. It doesn't really matter what it is for them. They're not going to pay. If you don't have an address, it's free anyway. So it doesn't affect those that are hurting us most, and it will change how much money we spend—huge amount of money we spend—in Medicaid, Medicare payments. And then last, we have to fix the pension bubble that's in our state. Our state budget right now—I think it's 15% of our budget—is the pension. That's a huge chunk. And there's been articles that have been coming out now in the next 10 years or so, it's going to explode. And when it explodes, New York State is going to default. When New York State is going to default. All those pensions go bye-bye. New York State defaults, pensions go away, pension insurance kicks in. If you're lucky, you get 40% of your pension. If you're lucky, you might not even get that. Here's the difference. I am prepared to negotiate now. If you're listening and you're a, you have a pension and it's not directly in the New York State budget, this does not affect you at all. Good luck. Do your thing. All good. If your bu- pension is in the budget, if we don't fix this in 10 years, you're not going to have a pension. And when that happens and that massive thing happens, it is going to devastate New York State. I am prepared to negotiate now. Over the next four years, we will negotiate and we will make sure that those pensions either get in a 401Ks uh, or 403Bs or whatever is required for your pension to ensure that you will keep a pension. And that within four years from now, it will not be in our budget. If it's not in our budget, that will save another huge chunk of money. Those three things will allow me to literally eliminate. The state income tax within four years.
0: Oh, that sounds like that, that sounds like a, a golden plan to me. Um, what let's as we begin to uh, start to to sort of wrap up here. Um, I do want to touch on one more issue and then we'll, we'll sort of get into the, the final few, uh, uh I, I had more tax plan stuff but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we get oh. I feel like, you know, if, if, uh, we could have a, a really long show, then uh, we can get into it, but I want to try to keep at least Forget right around I an hour, you know, for
1: hours
0: every day on these subjects. Yeah. yeah. Hours. Oh, I, I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> um, I did three events today. You're my fourth event today. Well, I feel honored. Um, so I, I do want to sort of get your input about, um, what you would like to see happen on, uh, justice reform. This is a hard one, um, because there's
1: so much that has to be done. The number one thing is to end the war on drugs, legalize marijuana and hemp.
0: Mm -hmm. That's
1: the number one thing, but there's, let me just touch that real fast. I can spend an hour just on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, legalize as any good libertarian would. Yes, it's good for two reasons. First one's for farmers, right. and it doesn't do with criminal justice, farmers. Let farmers grow what they want to grow, particularly small farmers, right? Small farmers, they want, they, they're getting crushed in New York State. The idea of allowing them to do hemp and marijuana allows them to specialize if they want to, so a small you know, five to seven-acre farm has a chance. You don't have to be a 300-acre farm to survive in this state, and that's a good idea for them, but not just that. But a lot of people have chronic pain. Well, if you have chronic pain, why not grow your medicine? But not? growing in your backyard. I want to legalize hemp and marijuana and literally just regulate it like onions. It's like onions. You want to grow onions in your backyard? Go ahead. It's fine. Grow onions. You don't? do no. Not my problem. Do what, you, do what you want to do. What makes you happy? I'm okay with that. But I also want to let people sell it in the stores. Let them. Like health food stores. Sell it if you want to. Go ahead. Mm. It allows people to have nice new industries and do what they need to do. You do that, you will stop the cops from, from busting so many people. This one drugs garbage which is not a good idea and it will help deal with our opioid crisis, which also will deal with criminal justice reform. 80% of all uh, addicts right now somehow started on an FDA-approved um, prescription. That will go away once cannabis is legal. You have legal cannabis, you will see the opioid uh, uh, epidemic begin to go down immediately. You do that, you then add the next piece, which is stop treating addicts like criminals. If, you, if you're an addict, that's not a crime. If you steal to get your drug, that's a crime. So go to jail for that. But don't go to jail for having a drug in your pocket. That is not a crime for being an addict. We need to treat addicts like what they are. It's a medical issue, not a criminal issue. Do that that will change. Next, bail reform. The idea that we have bail reform, we have their people in jail for two or three years because they can't pay. That's that's poor man's prison. Again, that's embarrassing. If you have a problem, bail, bail should have the option. Dollars or an ankle bracelet. You yep. want to yep. yep. got a bunch of money and you want to write a check? Good for you. Done. You don't have a bunch of money? No worries. Ankle bracelet. Not just that. Bail shouldn't be because of the – they do this often. It is high bail because of the, um, the crime, because of the accusation. Well, wow, it's a murder accusation, so high bail. That's dumb. That's dumb. The purpose of bail is not to punish. Because you're only accused, means you're goddamn innocent, unless you're proven guilty. What should happen is, is there a significant flight risk? That's the issue. Will they run away? If you think so, you can always just shove a, an ankle bracelet on them. If they run away, they know run away. And then you go after them. Then the guy's going to be guilty anyway, you punish him. Got it. <laughs> but let a guy go to work. Let a guy have his family. Because someone accused you of something bad, now you lose everything? And the poorest lose it all. They lose their job. They lose everything. They lose their family. They lose their their self-respect. And then a place like Rikers Island, which some of the most violent people in the world are there. This is horrible. So bail reform too. And, and on top of that, family court. Now why criminal? Because family court has the ability to do things to crush fathers. I'm. I, I, we have to totally revamp family court. I'm the only guy talking about family law fixing this thing. We're in a situation where fathers get Put in jail because they don't pay their, their uh they don't pay their uh um support, which is put on them higher than a cops could possibly ever pay, and they lose their professional licenses, which means now they can't work, or they lose their driver's license, which means they can't work. It just breaks men and puts them in prison, and this whole thing has to change. There are so many. I could spend it for three more hours. I'm sorry, I don't want to keep going. There are so many things we have to repair in our criminal justice system. It is embarrassing. We literally have millions of broken men throughout this nation, that the criminal justice system and the family system has created broken men, and these broken men have created
0: broken kids, and it's it's just embarrassingly bad. I think that last point, especially, that you touched on, um, how we not only punish them while they are in prison, but we seem to just continue to punish them even after we act like they have learned their lesson. Uh, yes. and give them no chance for redemption by by condemning them to a life of where they can't get a job, they can't go out yep. in society and, and behave like a normal functioning member of society with all of their yes. rights restored, how can we possibly expect them not to, be, just to wind back up where they they were in the first place?
1: Of course, the problem is we have mixed these two things together, and that is law and righteousness. Yeah, They are not the same. And any way, shape, or form. We've forgotten about this, about who we are as a nation. All of our heroes are outlaws. All of them. <laughs> Every one of them. George Washington, outlaw. Malcolm X, outlaw. Martin King Jr., outlaw. Gandhi, outlaw. Robin Hood, outlaw. They're all outlaws. Yeah. Every one of them. Benjamin Franklin, outlaw. Thomas Jefferson, outlaw. These are all outlaws. Every one of them. They're outlaws. Why the hell are we about the law and order people all of a sudden?
0: Yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> that 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 boggles my mind, and it it really is a, a really good point. All the uh, the people who brought us this sort of the the sort of kind of law that we enjoy, the law of liberty, are the very people who uh, who had to break the law in order to do so, and you this, know, there's there's not enough people that see the irony in that. Correct, I do. Yeah, well, I do. I'm very happy you are. Uh, you do, and I'm very happy that you're uh, you're running so that uh, so that more people will will sort of see that. Um, as we start to close down here, uh, tell me a little bit uh, where um, where people can find
1: LarrySharp.com. That is Larry Sharp with an E. The E stands for Electable.
0: electable. You can
1: also go to Larry Sharp for New York Facebook page. Or Larry on Instagram, or Larry or Larry Sharp on Twitter.
0: Alrighty, and uh, do you have any sort of uh, parting words and uh, and uh, any any sort of parting thoughts that you would like people to know before we we hop off here? This election
1: is the most. This race is the most important race in this election season. If you live in New York State and you vote for blue team or red team. You are going to get His Majesty King Andrew again, and nothing will change. If you vote gold, here's what I promise you. Either I will win and the entire nation will change, or I will come close and New York State will change. If you vote gold, you will get change. If you vote red or blue, you get the same old status quo establishment. If you don't live in New York, tell your friends who do live in New York this. It's important. If you can help, come help. If you can donate, you can... And donate if you can volunteer volunteer however you can get on this on this train get on this train
0: uh larry i really appreciate you coming on i thoroughly enjoyed this and i i do want to echo what you just said i i would go further and say even if you come in second the 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 entire country has fundamentally changed because a third party got second place that just doesn't happen
1: um, yep.
0: and then people will start looking at saying oh my gosh they're no longer the party that I just—they're just throwaway votes anymore. They're actually somebody who who I could uh, give my support to, and possibly win. And Absolutely. that would be astounding uh, to happen. Absolutely. So, best of luck to you. Um, you know, just keep us keep us updated on on everything that's going on. Uh, we'll be sure to uh, to to keep in touch and um, and share all the updates with that. Uh, so that way, so that way people. Will no, because I, I do believe that this is a really important election for, for you as well as for the state of New York, as well as uh, the country this race is. So uh, thank you I for love coming it. on, and uh, we'll have Thanks to uh, try me, to perfect. do it again sometime. Perfect. Good talking to you. Thanks a lot, Larry. And for those listening, uh, be sure to follow me, at Caleb Franz, on Twitter. Be sure to follow the show, at Milliberty, on Twitter. And subscribe to us on iTunes so that you'll never miss an episode or an update. And until next week, we'll see you.